This program deals with themes of an adult nature and is intended for a mature audience. The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events. From somewhere in the desert, between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Fairy Tales. Because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty! The only thing we have to fear is fear itself! Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to the last edition of Veritas for 2011 or Season 3 at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, Veritas member, for making this program possible all these years. That sounds strange to even say it, all these years. I know three years is not that many, but for the amount of information we've covered, it sometimes feels like a lifetime. And for this very special last episode of 2011, we have chosen a good friend of this program to end the year with some important facts, and most importantly, with hope. Tonight's special guest is Colin Andrews. We'll discuss the crop circle ET connection, consciousness, 2012, and a few other important topics. Colin Andrews will be with us shortly. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our interviews, all you have to do is go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the subscribe button. In seconds after you subscribe, you'll receive an email with your login, and that's it. You'll have access to everything Veritas has to offer. Why not end the year with a bang and start the new year with information you will not get when you turn on your TV, no matter what channel. Subscribe today. And in a few days, we should have Season 3 available in our futuristic metal-cased 8GB USB drive. Visit the Veritas store for this, MMS, and everything else we have to offer. 
Oh, and a few days ago I announced on Facebook that we are starting to put our very test transcripts in book format. The first book is about 400 pages long, and it includes the very first 11 interviews. We will proceed in order. Why am I doing this? Well, one thing is to listen to an interview, and another is to read it. It has a different feeling. Essentially, I want to leave the Veritas Legacy in printed format too, and this is the beginning. I've named the book Veritas Scriptum, which means the truth is written. And of course, this is volume one. More volumes will follow. The publication will be available shortly. Some have asked if it will be available on Kindle, and I think it will. Although, you can buy individual transcripts right now, online, via PDF too. Go to the Veritas store for more information. And I want to thank all of you who submitted questions for the Inside Veritas 2011 edition. As always, I had a lot of fun, and it does give us an opportunity to look back on the year, reflect, and look forward to the next year with hope. Great questions as usual. It seems to me that these Inside Veritas special programs have become a permanent fixture during this time of the year. I hope everyone had a nice holiday, and those of you who stayed alone, I hope spending a few hours with me last week made your time more enjoyable. And if you need to get in touch with me, just go to VeritasRadio.com and click on the contact button. Have you ever wondered if there is a connection between crop circles and extraterrestrials? Is there a consciousness aspect to crop circles? And could the mere stare to a crop circle formation have a subconscious effect, a mental download of information? Could microwave lasers or masers be responsible for what hoaxers have been using to make the circles for many years? What were the Maya really saying about 2012? And should we pay attention to their prophecies? For answers to these and many more questions, the father of the term crop circles, Colin Andrews, is coming up next. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to Veritas. Don't go anywhere. Colin Andrews is a well-known researcher and author and is widely acknowledged as the world expert on the crop circle phenomenon. He is the founder of Circles Phenomenon Research International, their first organization established specifically to investigate the crop circle phenomenon. His scientific investigations are responsible for much of the current information available on the subject. Andrews supervised the largest surveillance project of its kind during 1990 called Operation Blackbird. It was an effort to film a crop circle forming, backed and supported by the British Army, 
the BBC, and Nippon Television. I was watched closely by the international media. Andrews is an electrical engineer by profession and a former senior officer in British regional government. And to learn more about Colin Andrews and his work, there is an extended version of this biography on our website, veritasradio.com. You can also visit Colin's website at colinandrews.net, not .com, .net. And directly from Guilford, Connecticut, I would like to welcome Colin Andrews back to Veritas. Hello, Colin. Welcome back. How are you? Uh, thank you very much, Mal. It's great to be with you again. It's been a, a while. It's been almost uh, two and a half years, Colin, and we've corresponded for the last uh, couple of years. A lot has happened, I believe. Oh. We, we we met in person in, in Rio Rico, Arizona, uh, where you gave an excellent presentation with your Thank very you. personal version of, shall we say, disclosure. Thank before you. we start, do you want to share with the audience some of what you said there that you never said before? Um, well, yes, an interesting start, Mal. <laughs> yeah. These were things I had not said before because uh, up until that time, I felt that it was um, really important to keep the focus very much on the crop circle research and not on me personally uh, or uh, on some of my experiences and uh, personal experiences. And so... Um, for a variety of reasons, I, I think as much from a kind of a, a, the voice within uh, as much as anything else, uh, somebody was telling me that this was the time now uh, to basically put right out there on the table, uh, hoping that others would be doing the same thing, um, those things that we basically uh, keep secret to ourselves, those parts of ourselves that we keep separate from anything and everything else that's going on around us. So um, this is kind of a little bit of a build-up, it's true, to saying that I had never spoken outside of my family. I mean, my own doctors and my own family were aware that I had had uh, a number of um, two uh, very strange experiences when I was uh, five years old. And uh, really, uh, it, it has uh, really from that time kind of troubled me. It's, it's always something that comes back and you think about and that it, it seems as my life has evolved and got more and more involved in this particular work, um, it, it almost seems like I was kind of biased, you might say, uh, uh, preconditioned uh, to do it. And uh, that sounds very bizarre. But the fact of the matter is that uh, when I was five years old, um, I had what the, the, the memory recollection is different to what I record under hypnosis and regression. <clears throat> so there's two parts to that. But when people would ask me, uh, have you ever had a UFO experience? You know, because there is this continuing perceived connection between the UFO and the crop circles. Um, I would say, well, you know, during either surveillance or certain projects, um, it is quite possible that the things we were looking at were UFOs, but they were lights in the sky. Uh, and apart from that, I had... Uh, to a very uh, unusual, what I would always put down, I had always put down, to as dreams. And uh, I never said more than that, but the fact of the matter is that um, I was approached um, by Professor uh, Harder down at Berkeley, who had worked on uh, Blue Book with Hynek, and had asked me if I would be regressed because uh, they had, that is, that he and Hynek had seen 
in second marriages is a very strange and very much bizarre thing, but they had thought they recognized a pattern that in second marriages it, 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 um, there was the, a theory that went that these second marriages were between two people that were basically brought together, manipulated and adjusted and brought together uh, f- for a particular reason. Hmm. Well, that was very way out uh, thinking, but um, I, at the end of the day, I, I, I said, no, I wasn't willing to be regressed, which is what he wanted to do. Um, and uh, But he... Um, he arrived in Connecticut. I'm speaking now, actually, to a little more than I said, I think, in Rio Rico. Um, he, he, I'm, you know, kind of down into the nitty gritty of this. Uh, he arrived in Connecticut to do a present, make a presentation himself at, um, you know, a venue I was at, too, uh, in uh, North Haven, about uh, seven miles away from where I'm speaking to uh, from now in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did his presentation. I did mine. And... Um, he, I, we invited him. Actually, he actually asked if he could come back to our house, uh, Cynthia, my home. Um, with uh, it was then a fiance he, that he later married, and uh, and of course we were very happy to have him in our home. So he came into the house. Uh, I sat down. I was invited to sit into a, a comfortable seat in my own home, uh, which I did. Cynthia invited. Um, Dr. Harder and his wife for a cup of tea and she went you know to this open plan kitchen to put the kettle on and could hear and see everything going on it's an open plan home and um, he's approached the idea of regression again well uh, anyway long story short on this to get to the real piece that matters is that he regressed me Um, I'd always been told that this could not happen without you know kind of you were for it and, yeah. you know, approved for, approved it. But he, he uh, had said to me that we will um, put you through the mind of an extraterrestrial uh, and that these decisions will be made for and on your behalf by this species. Again, very way out stuff. But uh, I can tell you, Mel, that um, even though I was convinced I could not be regressed, I was uh, regressed um, before my wife had got the cup of tea uh, ready. And uh, in the time, which I thought, um, after all this was over and they had left that night, I was, of course, uh, it was, we were full, my wife were, and I were full of discussion about it because I had, uh, well, she asked me, how long do you think you were uh, out, as it were? And I said, well, I, I would say about 10 minutes. And she said, you were, you were, under his spell, as it were, uh, for 45 minutes. And out of my mouth came amazing things. Uh, It took me from uh, that that I had remembered as uh, a a dream. Uh, It took me beyond that uh, to other things. And so um, what happened was that I lifted up out of my body. I was five years old in my home um, in a country area, a place called Enam Alamein, and not too far from Stonehenge. And uh, I felt a kind of a, a tugging in my stomach. That's how it felt. It was like um, 
I don't know. It was like being in a, a car. I always say this. I don't know whether everybody can imagine it, but uh, uh, being in a motor car with your eyes closed and you're going over a humpback bridge, you know, you're so, you're heading up and then down very quickly. Like a roller coaster going down. Yes, that's a good one. That's actually much better. Exactly right. A roller coaster going downhill. And up, my stomach came right up and... Um, and I was out of my body, and uh, I was looking down into the room. I was floating up underneath the ceiling, and uh, this was what I had perceived as a dream, and this happened twice on two separate occasions. And I was uh, floating towards the outside wall at the back of our house, bedroom, just alongside the bedroom window, and that's where my dream ended. But the regression went on just like uh, there was no break between one and the other. I went through that wall and out into the field at the back of my home, still uh, floating uh, towards a very bright white light. Uh, it just looked like a ball of light, which was very bright. And uh, as I approached that light, um, it kind of sh it changed very quickly. I passed right on my right and directly on my left were two uniformed military people, uh, or, an ordinary guys in American military uniform, and they looked, uh, you know, right, really serious. There was uh, there were no nothing else but a serious uh, face on either, both of them, and suddenly it was like plop, and I'm inside the light, and it was a soft light. It was a really gentle yellowy uh, light. And uh, I was maneuvered around. Uh, I was totally aware that this was not me doing any of this. Um, I just came down very, very, very slowly onto a, like an aluminum plinth. It was like a one-piece uh, molded plinth with a single stem in the center. And uh, I flipped over so that I was facing my feet in the horizontal on the plinth. And immediately there was uh, an entity uh, looking at me and in my head speaking to me. I've heard all of this in the UFO literature myself, and that's exactly as it was. And it or he or whatever it was uh, with almond-shaped eyes, they weren't particularly large. They were larger than ours, but they were not overly large, not like the big greys that we hear about. Mm -hmm. And um, it said to me, uh, very emotionally, and it kind of touched me inside really deeply, um, we're very sorry to be doing this, but this is for a future time. And, uh, and from then on, it gave very specific information to me about the environment and plants in that area, actually on the edge of that very field, which we later went back with a film crew. This is all on tape. Um, the winter of... Um, the year, the year of the uh, regression. It was the winter. It was just December or something. Uh, I went back and I had the crew and uh, my family. Certain members of my family um, accompanied us, and we walked across the field. And there, still, and this is on my website now, um, was this perfect ring still growing in the grass as a darker colored green and larger plants but it's grass and uh, growing exactly where the bright white light was um what is that it, right back um 50 odd years ago more than 50 years ago uh, it they told me in this 
long discussion of apparently 45 minutes um, that there would be a certain an oak tree in a very specific place and two species of other plants, um, it was, um, a bluebell and um, a primrose, and that these plants interacting with the roots of the oak tree would be a perfect combination for the scientists, biologists, to monitor the health of the planet, our planet. But it, it, there were many other things that came out, Mal, and I'm sorry this is a very long opening, but uh, that is what happened, and that's what I said in Rio, um, um, primarily to get it off my, my, my back, as it were, to get it off my shoulders. Um, and as you know, you were there. Uh, it kind of did uh, have the um, effect of causing Stephen Greer to tell some personal things of himself and um, also Dr. Uh, help me with that, Mel. Um, I know her. It's from... Um, Lingitai. Yes, absolutely. Yes. From Yes, thank you. From uh, Phoenix. And uh, I think the three of us in turn had a, a few tears. It's, it is a very bizarre situation. Can I just say something else on that, Mel? Of course. I'm very, I'm, I'm conscious of kind of a, a very long bite there. I'm sorry for that. But um, this is kind of odd. And some of your listeners may have some ideas to help us all through this kind of situation. Um, when I decided that I was going to kind of just make that public, whether it went down well or not, it's the truth. And I felt that it was necessary to say it because, it, you know, encouraging other people to come forward who have indeed, and they too have had very strange experiences, usually around five years old. Mm -hmm. So a picture kind of emerges. But I was in the shower um, uh, about a week before the X conference down in Washington, D.C., 2009. Mm -hmm. That was the first time when something in my head, I mean, basically was saying, you've got to do this, you know, make this public. And... And, and, and I decided, yes, I was going to. So I went down to Washington, D.C., um, you know, the Steve Bassett um, yeah. uh, Exopolitics um, organization. And I was approached by a guy down there. And he, if he's listening to him, I'd like to make contact with him again, because this guy, it was as if he knew exactly what had happened to me in uh, in that decision making to speak about it, because he came up to me and he, he looked kind of right inside my head, you know, like that deep look through my eyes. I'd never seen the man before. He, stopped, he stood right in front of me and he said, you know, Colin, this is the time to speak those things you have never spoken of before. And it was an absolute knowing. I knew that he knew exactly what it, that had gone on in my in my thought process about whether I should or whether I shouldn't. I knew it. I absolutely did. And he knew I knew. It was a very, just a, a weird moment. Um, and as I say... Who was it? So, I have no idea who he was. Um, and, you know, the thing is, I've ever since wondered who he was. It was like, is he a government agent? Is he, uh, is he ET? <laughs> I mean... It's just odd stuff. I mean, there there are these things you just can't you just can't explain. I should have said, "Who are you?" And I wish I had said that. You're shocked. And if he's if he's listening, I'd like him to make contact with me on the website because uh, I'd like to know more. And I have to tell you, 
you were well you you are still a reputable uh, individual in, in 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 this topic but you were an engineer you had a serious profession is it that you f feared that you were going to be ridiculed and your career and family would be uh, in jeopardy if you came out before and that's why you you waited decades to talk about it that that is exactly it it is exactly it uh, i i just knew i mean i've just felt you know uh, difficult it felt um off foot you know off my feet as it were um to have said anything about it now even it doesn't come naturally you just know it's pushing the envelope um you know so yes i i absolutely separated that my family have been aware of uh, that whole thing around when i was five years old um, there was more to it than i tried to cut it a little short because of the length of time involved in telling you about it but i mean i came out in um uh, blisters all over my body for several years following those experiences i was under doctors they had no idea what were causing these like radiation burns throughout my body i have actually Uh, purchased from the British government my medical records so that I have them uh, and they refer to the doctors looking at these blisters being baffled by them um, you know so wow. something happened and I don't know what it was so you um, went back to your, your, your medical records all the way yeah. to child's age wow yes I did Uh, I, I felt I had to, Mal, because, you know, we are both um, kind of like publicly known now for what we do. And, uh, you know, I've put nearly 30 years into this specific research and I, and I didn't and still don't wish to, uh, um, you know, have that damaged, uh, the actual work itself, uh, under undermined by an experience which I you know, I needn't have talked about. Uh, I've done it because I really truly believe that we're heading into extraordinary times where, you know, it's going to be different. Everything's going to be different. Our world is changing. You know, it's decoupling the old systems going, the news coming forward with new technologies, new understandings, you know, an advancement in hopefully in our consciousness. And so we're you know what is the norm today will not exist in the very near future and so the only way we can make that complete in any real sense um is to be honest and uh, and that's you know that that's pretty well what i've tried to do and that's that's why it's so important this is the last show of the year and 2012 is coming up soon and and i'd like to discuss 2012 in a few minutes but before i i, I do so After, I think, 17 years that you've been researching this and being the man who coined the term crop circles, in the year 2000, you announced to the world that only 20% of crop circles in England during 1999 and 2000 were not made by people. I still remember that. What effect did that have on you personally and on the research? Well, uh, a profound effect. Uh, I think it had a profound effect on both the research and on me. I mean, just to speak, uh, get me out of the way in that equation, it, it was, and to a small degree still is, but um, less or so now. But uh, it, it, was, it was absolutely profound. You know, I was called anything and everything um, uh, by well-known people and uh, uh, sometimes uh, on live 
um, um, communications of this kind. I was on a radio program. I won't name it. It doesn't serve to, you know, to, it doesn't help to sure. say anything now these days. But, um, it, you know, it was on a well-known radio program, and uh, it was going out to millions of people. And uh, I was, uh, it was said to me that I was lying, that that uh, 2080 outcome of the Rockefeller-funded two-year investigation into the hoaxing of crop circles uh, was a, a, a fraudulent claim that it was, I knew it to be wrong, and that I was just simply misinforming people. Uh, if uh, that person and anybody, and there were, there were a lot of people who had sent me hate mail, and it was a very hard time. It truly was. I mean, my family knew what, what, what I was going through. I was kind of trying to shrug it off and just get on with the work. But if people had realized what I went through myself with what I knew was going to be a devastating uh, statement. Um, but it had to be said because, again, if we are to really focus upon what is happening here, we need all the parts of the equation. And so, you know, once, um, you know, we had, uh, I had co coordinated uh, a number of um, undercover agencies, which were basically private detective companies in England, uh, with you know all kinds of surveillance and people being followed, the kind of stuff that I I I, I didn't enjoy at all. It wasn't me out there doing it, but I was coordinating it and with and with somebody else's money. That was Lawrence Rockefeller's. And anyway, the outcome of it was that um, these percentages have been rounded up to 20 AC, and they're only points of you know decimal points out. It, I mean, it's rounded up simply for simplicity. Um, of all of them that had appeared in England, and that's important to say, Mel, um, during that 1999 and 2000, um, 20% we couldn't fathom. You know, that's that's a lot of um there's a lot of circles that's a, a lot of events that nobody could decipher we couldn't and these are professionals these are guys that are looking for you know the, the, i mean the, these are what guys that investigate crimes and put people in prison i mean these are you know hardened investigators professional investigators um and they couldn't wor work out uh, how people had entered they couldn't they were being given privileged information to get into these things very quickly very early on so they, they they had good information but it left us with the ugly thing that had to be said um was that 80 percent mm -hmm. approximately uh we had all the evidence in the world were made by people and it was like the cloud dro clouds dropped out of the sky um I think I probably could have handled it better. Uh, I, I think I probably should have said and, and played up, if you like, to ease the pain. 20% um, of these um, are real. Um, and, uh, you know, the remainder um, are probably made by people. That sounds an awful lot better than saying, you know, 80% of these are man-made. And that was heard, Mel, as uh, Colin Andrews is saying, they're all man-made. Well, here's the issue. I think what people thought is, oh, Colin Andrews is a, one, he's a debunker. And number yeah. two, he's working for the cabal uh, with Rockefeller using money to misinform. Did the name Rockefeller associated with you, did it have any negative impact? Oh, it did. Yes, it did. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say it because I mean the guy. Uh, I, I never met Lawrence Rockefeller, but I, you know, very, very close, of course, to his, his the people that were, mm -hmm. and um, 
uh, you know, he, he had funded uh, two years of my work that I had funded the rest. And, uh, you know, my family and I have paid for, you know, nearly 30 years worth of, of work. And yeah. uh, there's a lot involved. So for this guy who I didn't personally know to step forward and say, you know, as part of the um, the disclosure um, uh, efforts, um, I would like, to, you know, uh, to know exactly what's happening in the crop circles and name me some projects. And I did. And I for me at that time, and that was my decision and not his, uh, I felt that it had at that point was important that we separate, try and separate, you know, what it, where we should be putting our resources uh, against those that was increasingly becoming a very negative and troublesome to everybody with people making them. So it was my decision. And um you know, yes, it, very much so. Even even to this day, I, I still get emails. I I got one. I did coast to coast the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a few nights ago now, and um, you know, I got a I got an extremely nasty email as a result of that, saying, you know, you are a traitor, and you're a traitor who married uh, a Rockefeller. Now, it didn't mean married as in my wife, who is not related to the Rockefellers. <laughs> right. How I wish. <laughs> Um, not so. What he meant is that I had, uh, you know, cuddled up to Lawrence Rockefeller and therefore right. I was a traitor. Um, if only he knew what I went through simply to put out a truth. But there, that, that was what happened there. Was Lawrence Rockefeller, because once again, I, I don't mean to delve too much into this, but the, the okay. name Rockefeller is associated with, you know, many, many people, Illuminati, New World Order, da, da, da. But Lawrence Rockefeller, was he a, a, a different person? Was he the, I don't want to say black sheep of the family, but was he the one who really wanted the truth out? I believe, I believe he was. That's a great question, Mal, because, you know, we do have to give, um, you know, uh, an opportunity to this individual who, who is, you know, entitled to get a fair shake. Mm-hmm. Um, is he the same as so many others in the family who seem to very much live up to the uh, picture that is painted that, yeah. uh, you know, they're on the inside, they're the 1% and to hell with the worker bees. Um, you know, I mean, and I think that's probably, I think it's probably fair, you know, with the Rothschilds and the rest of them. But I think by what I've read up and those people that I'm close to that know him, um, you know, have been helpful in the on the, you know, trying to encourage uh, Bill Clinton in particular to release UFO documents. He he genuinely has a tremendously uh, tremendous interest in particularly in the UFO so I I think that, um, you know, it was a genuine effort to move this thing forward. And I think, actually, I, I say I'm dancing around this a little bit because you know what it's like. You mention the name and the phone starts ringing. Yeah. Um, it, it, it has been said to me from somebody very close to the family that he indeed was the black the black member of the family, mm. the black sheep. So I think your comment is probably right on. And I forgot what what researcher told me this, but you you've seen the pictures of of, uh, of former first lady Hillary Clinton walking with him and his uh, his ranch, I believe. She's walking with a, a book. I forgot the, the title. Uh, I'm missing the title now. But anyway, is it true? Have you heard this? That in reality, during the second meeting, Hillary Clinton told Rockefeller. We will not talk about this anymore. Almost as if saying, "Don't ask about this anymore. Shut up. Don't talk about." It. Have you heard about this? I have heard that said, and um, what makes me believe that probably happened 
is that I heard myself, I didn't see it any more than one transmission uh, when Bill Clinton was being given a hard time, you know, with the Lewinsky business. Uh, Hillary Clinton came out and kind of really supported her husband mm -hmm. at that time before all of the investigations kind of finalized and it appeared that, you know, that he had been involved. Um, prior to that, uh, she was uh, really giving the interviewer some flack about the, you know, the, the right, -wing right wing attack on her husband. And she made comment and, and inferred that the people that were doing this were as stupid as the UFO community. And it was like that. It was a very, like, very non-supportive of any uh, declarations that were going to be coming from that administration or certainly that she would personally have anything to do with. So I think that when it came to the, the real person, um, that the decisions were already made. Don't think we're going to get involved in this UFO business. It isn't going to happen. Um, and and I, yes, I, I, I believe that probably did happen. And of course, I don't want to talk too much about the Rockefellers, but some say that even Bill Clinton was the illegitimate son of Governor Winthrop Rockefeller. You've heard that too, right? I have not heard that, no. Okay. I have not. Well, My goodness. it makes well. you wonder how he went to Georgetown, Oxford, Yale, and all that. He must have had some, some help, but uh, uh, you can Google this. There's a lot of information about this. But uh. with all the years of research, what would you do differently if you were able to start your research into uh, crop circles all over again? Well, there, there are a number of things. Um, I would, there are two things, two, two things really stick out. I, I would have opened up a dialogue with people who claimed to be making them and that we believed to be making them. Uh, I would have put great, made uh, greater efforts to have opened that, that side of this up sooner so that we had a more complete picture sooner related to people making them. I, I think that needed to have been gotten out the way uh, much, much earlier than it was. And, and uh, you know, and again, I, I obviously take responsibility. I am my own boss. So, you know, what, what I decide to do is, uh, is something I've got to take the rap for. And so I would certainly have done that uh, more, you know, differently. And the other thing is that at a, at a personal level, um, I have to be fair and honest I, to say that I would have been more inclusive. You know, I tended, I mean, I've worked with a lot of people. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's not as if I'm just out there alone. Uh, I, you know, because I'm kind of have been high profile media wise with this subject, uh, you could get the impression that, that that's what's been going on. But uh, I, I have worked with a lot of people, but there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of individuals out there who have put in since, you know, myself and that first team arrived on the scene, have put in a, a great deal of effort. And I think that whilst there were quiet appeals for, well, my attention and other people's attentions to, um, you know, integrate that work uh, on a, a broader front so that we were researching, you know, across a broader front earlier on, uh, I, I should have have engaged that. Uh, I was a little bit, a little bit insular, which didn't, uh, but it didn't, um, you know, encourage people to, uh, to, to speak very highly of me in that regard. I mean, I, I've more friends than I have enemies, but, you know, it, it's like they say, you only need one good enemy to, right. uh, to really give yourself some ulcers. And th that's really where I, I don't know. I'm not going to say I went wrong uh, exactly, 
Uh, I don't think it's that strong a, a situation, but I certainly could have made it easier. And maybe the, the research itself would have benefited had I approached on a broader front sooner. Are you saying that you would have engaged the Doug's and Daves? Yes. Yes, I think I would. It would not have been a popular move, but I would have done it because, you know, the, the truth of the matter is this, Mel, that um, the day that I decided that I would t pick the telephone up and talk to the first of a number then of people who had claimed to be making crop circles, I had uh, made the effort not to talk to them, not to approach them, because for me it was a very negative, energy-losing, um, you know, it, it wasn't getting us anywhere by, by that approach. That was my view, and that these people were just a nuisance and, uh, you know, let me get on with the real thing. Well, there, there is some merit in that, um, but having said that, when I opened the dialogue up, I was shocked. And I was shocked because these guys were telling me about experiences they were having. They were the same experiences, very strange, paranormal, it would be the word that covers it. Um, you know, these same experiences that some of the researchers, some of the members of the public and the farming community were having as well. And so uh, suddenly I'm getting the real picture, which is that even when people are making crop circles, there's a bigger story here. And, you know, I think, you know, probably for the back end of our program uh, is really where it has taken us. And it's taken us to, I think, giving us some answers uh, that would not have been a confident um, conclusion had I not been able myself to have heard it and then investigated it from the minds and the mouths of people who I had not been talking to, you know. The people that were making the circles, those that, that casted the 80%, you could say m much of the research fraternity would have liked to have just tipped them out with the bathwater. I mean, 80%, no. let's just wash them down the drain. Well, in that 80%, of course, 80 and 20 make 100%. The subject is looking at the 100%. It, it, it's only by looking at the overview that we get to see the core phenomena is challenging us to to develop our intuition. Now, I just made a huge leap from that statement to that's what it's saying, and I can develop that as our discussion goes on. And even, here's the problem. If you had said the opposite, instead of 80% being man-made, uh, if 80% would have been unknowns, then you would have been flooded by hate mail from people saying that you were making them up. So you yeah. can never win. And folks, we have to do this scientifically. This is what we can do we have to find the answers that way and to me 20 percent sounds a lot if you told me that 10 percent of the lights that we see in the sky are not unknowns well that makes sense a lot and that to me is proof that we don't have all the answers but here's a, a very simple question but i don't think i've ever asked you do you think ufos or, or ets have any connection with the crop circles a few years ago I would have said I think it's something different, that there is another mind is more in the spiritual realm, um, more um, more in the afterlife kind of realm. Uh, I would have said that, and we were options all le always left open. But yes, I am now, as a result of a number of developments, much more inclined to 
say that this is extraterrestrial. Um, not only because, but as well as uh, an, an, an event that the police sergeant had, which I think we talked about on the last program. Now I'm not quite sure now. Um, the police sergeant in Wiltshire, England, who was on his way back from his police station off of shift at about quarter past five in the morning two years ago. Uh, he was travelling along the A4 highway, which is quite a busy road, although not so much at that time in the morning. Um, he was approaching Silbury Hill. and You'll see the Silbury Hill in a lot of the crop circle photographs. They've been appearing there since 1988 uh, around the base of that hill. This is a man-made uh, pyramidal form, the largest man-made um, pyramidal form in Europe, one of the largest in the world. And that is within sight of Avebury, which is the largest monolithic stone circle uh, in Europe, and again, one of the largest in the world, major uh, archaeological site there, uh, and, and you know, attracts a lot of people. And so, you know, th these features stand out in the landscape. As you approach Silbury Hill, it looks like an enormous UFO that's taking off. I mean, that's what it looks like. It's silhouetted against the landscape, and this police officer knows this route. It's, it's, it's his way home every day. He was approaching Silbury Hill on his left, and on his right, he saw what he thought initially were three uh, tall people, mm -hmm. all in boiler suits, white, pure white boiler suits. That was his initial take on it. And uh, what it turned out to be was he, he stopped his vehicle. As he got closer, he, it was first light, but it was light enough. Was this next to the, uh, the crop circle that had a Mayan design? That's exactly right. Okay. It was right next to that Mayan design, headdress. And uh, these were over six foot six, getting on towards seven feet tall, identical. They were just carbon copies of one another, long blonde hair with uh, like hoods. It looked like hoods that had been, weren't on their heads, but dropped down at the back of their shoulders on the top of their, their very tall, uh, high shoulder blades. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were just above ground level. Their feet appeared to be slightly above the actual ground. But uh, they ignored him when he shouted to them, and he, he, he shouted several times, and he noticed that uh, there was a rippling energy effect, but the plant, plant heads were bobbing around like an electrostatic effect. Right. And uh, then they suddenly did, and in tandem, just like they were attached a wire to one another, they turned around in unison, and as they focused upon him, right down on the edge of the field, he had just got underneath some barbed wire to get into the field, uh, but didn't pr proceed to get any closer to them. They were up on the hill next to this crop design. And this rippling effect in the plants suddenly shot towards him across the field. It, you could see it coming like a wave towards him with their focus of attention. That's the way he, the way he read that. And as it the wave of these rippling plants embraced him, not embraced him, but engulfed him, surrounded him, immediately he had a very severe headache. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And he, you know, he, he says that he had that for the rest of the day. Well, then he looked to get out of the field fast. They looked in the opposite direction. And as he looked back from a, like a one second glance to his vehicle to see how he should get out quickly, um, they made off like leopards in the opposite direction towards the crop circle. But as they were on the brow of the hill, they simply faded. It was just like they faded away, like they were light beings that faded out. So, it, it, you know, 
and there's a lot to be said about that. I mean, you could probably take the rest of the program up on that particular experience. This is still ongoing. Uh, Andrew, um, Andy Russell, who's a colleague in England, uh, is actually the only person uh, the police officer will engage in this. It's been a very difficult time for him. Um, Andy is very close uh, to him and the case. Uh, I am able to say now, I just... Um, I got permission to say that uh, uh, Nippon Television have drawn up contracts for a documentary where this police officer has now agreed to make um, a public, I think he's going to be silhouetted, but nonetheless a public statement. The Wiltshire Police, that is the equivalent in this country of the state police, have made a statement and have kind of separated themselves from this event in saying that uh, this is a private matter mm -hmm. between the police sergeant uh, and uh, and the public, so it's ongoing. They they his wife was screaming uh, weeks after this. They, he was woken up with his wife screaming in the middle of the night. This is at their home, and uh, he 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 said, you know, he came like woke straight up in, in, into the dark, and there were the three tall beings, uh, we shall of course not know whether they're the same tall beings, but they looked exactly the same, and these were illuminated in the bedroom. And, uh, you know, as he grabbed, he said he just, like, grabbed at them, thinking that his wife was being attacked by them, and that's why she had screamed. They again faded away, and it took about a minute in, a dark, in that dark room. Um, about a minute, he says, for them to fade right out. Um, and there's ongoing research and investigations into the fibers of the carpets and all kinds of things. And it's sad how people like him and you, uh, he's a policeman and he has to do everything confidentially. They have to hide his face because yeah. the fear of ridicule, it's just like uh, in the United States and even around the world, pilots, pilots are not allowed to talk about what they see up there because they fear they're going to lose their jobs. It's outrageous. And the question is, Is it because, for example, let's pick a pilot, for example. Is it because if anybody says, well, uh, we just landed, I wanted to tell you, Mr. and Mrs. Passenger, that I saw a UFO in front of the plane. Is it because of the ridicule factor, or is it because people are going to think that the person is, is mentally challenged and cannot fly a plane? Which one of, of these, or the, in the case of the policeman, that he cannot exercise judgment while conducting his professional affairs? Again, a great question. These are very, these are the important questions for our time. I, I think that we have been um, socially engineered, basically, that the, yes. the social realm in which we operate our day-to-day -day functions have been colored uh, by the Victorian age in particular. Um, I think that it was the opportunity to have been open and honest passed in 1947 Uh, you know, it came and it went uh, when they should have been honest and open about it. Uh, the U.S. government chose not to be. And so they decided upon uh, a conditioning process where they would uh, put and this and very effectively, as we both know, um, you know, the UFO was uh, socially engineered to mean something uh, just as, uh, you know, today the word terrorist exactly. uh, has another effect. Um, you know, I'm sure that... Um, Or conspiracy the, theorist. 
Uh, Absolutely. Yes, thank you for that, because that's an important one. That's a new, a very new development in the last couple of years. Conspiratorial thinking, conspiracy thinking, just the kind of guys like you and I who like the truth, that delve into these things. Now we're we're conspiratorial, you know, and uh, that again is supposed to paint you into a corner where you're not taken seriously. Well, that kind of really suits, doesn't it? When if when we find the truth, we're able to say that, you know, these CEOs were actually, you know, taking way more than than the the balance sheet shows, etc, etc. You know, I got to say i'm just going off on a slight tangent here mel but it kind of plays into this you know it's kind of like getting it off of your your chest really um i think wikipedia wikileaks and um, julian assange uh, uh, was the door opener and we have a lot to thank the, the guy for i personally think that i know a lot of people don't i think the guy was courageous the whistleblowers that trusted the organization that he was part of, is part of, we owe them a lot because this was the first door opener. The second wave came in the social tension of the, you know, the the um, Arab Spring and the Occupy movement. Mm-hmm. This is, uh, this is, these are responses and reactions to a suppressed um, public over a long period of time who have been uh, unfairly. Uh, dealt, you know, many hands in, of course, as we know, in, in the latter years, uh, basically that, you know, pensions have been stolen and that's the term. I mean, it's not beating around the bush. This money has been stolen. And, you know, you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, it, it, these are crimes in any other uh, business in any other place. If this was the little guy in the street, this would be being treated as a crime. And anyway, I just had to say it because um, it, it's all to do with where we're going, where we've come from, where we're heading. We are moving into a different time. And I think the guys in the 1% are heading either to the hills, but they're, they know they've got a fight on their hands here now. This is not going away. You know, it truly is not going away. Uh, what we were af- afraid to talk of in the past is is all going to be out there and just, um, you know, fair conversation in the future. Uh, I, I believe so. Uh, it, they're crazy times. It could, they couldn't get any crazier than they are now, you know. I just uh, thought of you a few months ago, uh, your book, uh, uh, Government Circles, because I believe you have a, a black helicopter on the cover. And yeah. I've had many people who write to me saying, I just had a black helicopter fly over me here. And uh, I experienced that myself a few m- months ago. I was at a ranch at a conference, and uh, one helicopter hovered at one thirty in the morning for over 10 minutes. And I, I know the feeling. But was there more in that... Uh, present documents of your involvement with the UK government and the royal family on that book. And why did you write that book, by the way? Well, that's, um, yes, that is, is, it's kind of a big question because um, there's an awful lot uh, of reasoning that went into it. There was an awful lot of government and uh, royal activity that uh, was suppressed deliberately from public knowledge. Mm -hmm. And I think just to start here, um, I wrote the book, Uh, because the Ministry of Defense had decided that they would have, still at that time, the head of the UFO 
desk um, department or project, they're called different things, but it's the Secretary uh, 2A at Whitehall, which is the Ministry of Defense's UFO department, headed by Nick Pope, Nick, right. uh, who I, you know, I know, and I like. And I, I've got to say it straight away because people, you know, can run away with the idea that I'm, I'm kind of throwing some arrows at Nick. I like Nick Pope a lot. I recognized this man when I used to attend meetings with him in the Ministry of Defense. Um, when I was doing research and I was in my government job and advising the Queen and um, Margaret Thatcher at that time. So Nick knows I know what I'm talking about. And he also knows and has since admitted um, that uh, he was told to downplay in an official statement uh, that uh, the involvement of the British government, um, the Queen, the royal family in the crop circle mystery and to downplay both the UFO, which was his job, his full-time job, and the crop circles. Well, in so doing, um, they chose to do this when I made that 2080 decision and basically disappeared from the public's eye for um, five or six years at that time, around that period. Uh, I basically just kind of just dropped back out of the public eye and, and got on with my you know, continued with the research. Mm -hmm. And it seemed that they chose that time to say, well, okay, we're going to kind of let's write some history here, which is basically write some nonsense and some lies. <laughs> and it is important. The history is very important. You know, it's uh, it, it needs to be right. And they wrote this, Nick, on behalf of the Ministry of Defense, wrote an absolute load of lies, which were, were that the Home Office, Minister of Defense, were not involved not interested, no threats to national security, their personnel, their helicopters, their aircraft were not involved. The Queen had no interest, and she had to downplay this. Um, and it went on, it went on and on and on, all totally untrue. And untrue, I could prove. Uh, let me interject. You have proof because there was a member of the royal family who subscribed to your, your newsletter or your work, right? Oh, absolutely. It was more than that. Yes, it, you, that is correct. The Duke of Edinburgh, the Queen's husband, mm -hmm. has a long-standing interest in both the UFO and the crop circles. Well, once I started to um, provide reports, and I was asked by a military person who came to my home uh, if I would supply technical reports to the Queen and the um, cabinet, uh, the um, Secretary of State for the Environment, Nicholas Ridley, who sat in the Prime Minister's everyday meetings, in our cabinet meetings, and, and which I did. And uh, when all of that opened up and the reports were being circulated within the government and in the royal family, uh, I received, <coughs> excuse me, I received uh, letters uh, from personally from the Queen's um, personal secretary and other members of the royal family. And in one I remember, and indeed I've got in the book, Government Circles, uh, she is saying to me, uh, through her, uh, the person who's writing this, is sat alongside her, obviously, um, the Queen has, always, has for a, a long time had a particular interest in the crop circles. Please keep her informed, which I had already been asked by the military to do. Uh, we received similar, I received similar letters from the Duke of Edinburgh. He, as you said, rightly said, uh, subscribed to the newsletter for a number of years. Um, I was asked to take 
Prince Charles and Princess Diana around the crop circles. The government were directly involved in Operation Blackbird. I mean, I can go on and on and on, but it's not only this side, that side of the water, Mal, which it, that's where you know most of my government work was done because that's where I lived at that time. But, you know, on this side of the water, I spent a week uh, with um, Philip Corso, <clears throat> excuse me, before, of course, before he passed away. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, he he was telling me uh, of the involvement. I mean, this. Well, let me just say that this is the guy who who was uh, was part of the President Eisenhower's National Security Council from '53 to '57. Was at the White House and was advising the president on a number of issues. One of which he told me were the reports of simple crop circles. Now they weren't called that because I coined that term right. in the mid '80s. How, how did they just, call it before? I, I beg your pardon? How did they call crop circles before you, you came along with the term? Oh, it was all kinds of things. That's why I really decided we ought to give them a name. Yeah, right. You know, circular, spiraled, uh, uh, UFO nests. They record all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it still doesn't do them justice now, of course, because they're more than just circles. But he, he was telling me that they were receiving these reports from across the United States. A couple of them, uh, which I now have diagrams of, I didn't when I met him, but the NSA or an NSA operative uh, sent me two diagrams of um, really quite complex crop circles um, in Michigan. Uh, in the 60s. And so anyway, he was telling me, you know, that, that, that they were forwarded to the NSA, that they had a, a, a general viewpoint that these were indeed extraterrestrial, um, you know, and, and, and so, you know, I, I, I have also spent time um, with people, uh, CIA contractors uh, who had infiltrated the crop circle community. I don't want to go into that any more than that. Um, uh, You know, it's simply because I have already had some difficult um, discussions as a result of some things I said about that. And I I just uh, don't feel to give myself any more pain uh, with it all. But uh, the government this side, just like everywhere else, do have a function. And that is, of course, to know what's going on on their territory. What the shame about it all is they're just not sharing any of it with their people. They do represent us. And, uh, you know, all we get is lies, distortions, and um, and basically uh, they are uh, cutting across the development um, and evolution of our own consciousness. You know, all the time they're giving us lies, they're not giving us the information that, which we need to evolve. And, uh, you know, I feel very strongly about that. I always wonder how much the royal family knows about what's happening around the world. I mean, they may be interested in your work and, and the others, but let's never forget that it was Prince Philip, the, the Duke of Edinburgh, who said, if I were reincarnated, I would wish to be returned to Earth as a killer virus to lower human population levels. Do you think the royal family knows more than they're led to believe? Oh, I feel certain they do. Um, yes, I Again, we would need another program. Perhaps we should now <laughs> to go into some of this because I've, you know, I've I've sat with some people that are, you know, involved with the royals over a glass of whiskey. It's surprising what you get to hear once uh, sure. the drink has flowed a little bit. Yep. Yes, uh, th- there is no doubt. I, I mean, I think I can say this that it kind of brings in a bit of an insight to some of this. Um, I, I, I won't mention names. In fact, um, I was only ever given a code, so I don't know the name, but. Um, I did a presentation, this is going back uh, about 
13 years, I think, 13 or 14 years in England. And I, and I won't say where because, you know, it just keeps the, the information here. I did it. It was a public presentation, quite a, quite a size and, you know, quite a big one. And at the end, uh, a person came up to me, um, I would say about a 55, 60 year old person and asked if I would uh, kind of just walk outside somewhere quiet and they wanted to talk to me about something. I could see this person was not your... Well, my judgment was that this is a person who's come to see me, not to so much listen to what I just had to say, but this person's got something they really truly want to say. I, there was that kind of air about it. And so I, I went outside and... Uh, it was very obvious that this person was absolutely afraid to be seen in my presence, but needed me to know something. And I arranged a meeting. I was given a code structure, and it was because this person was very deeply involved in the royal family. And um, we set a meeting up, and uh, it was very intricate. It had to be set up in such a way that they could convey to me this information without being known or seen by the royals. And um, it was just an extraordinary situation. I, the information I was given um, was uh, pretty extraordinary, and it, it related to Prince Charles in particular, who has had many UFO experiences. And uh, is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I did not know that. No, I don't think it's public knowledge. Uh, it, it's clearly the per <laughs> the pain this person was going through to tell me, and the reason that I was told that this person was breaking some ground to put it into the public side that somebody out there out on the outside world should know about it is that i'm going to say she it was a she um was with prince charles and a number of other people that we don't know but they were royals and down the chain a little bit very close to the where i lived uh, very close and this extremely large craft came over the town and of about 35,000 people, um, that I know this place very well, by the way, in England, and there was a very low-level rumbling, uh, just that deep rumbling sound. The ground was vibrating. It came up and it swiveled like it was described to me as a radiator, like an oblong radiator with these falutes, these heating falutes mm -hmm. down like a radiator has, radiator panel, panels. This was a very, very dark color. It rotated over the town, cantilevered in front of Charles. They, these people were jumping and diving under the hedges. This thing was so big. She said to me that if this thing ever decided to land, it could take an entire town with it. And she said, you know, it terrified everybody concerned. And she went on to tell me that Charles himself, and uh, who knows, Mel, somebody in the royal household could be listening to this now. Um, I have had my contacts, and I still have back door if they're wanting at any point to convey more on this. Um, we, there's, we don't need to go further in public than it ever needs to go. But the, the thing about it was that Charles himself seems like many abductees do uh, seem to have uh, some tagging of some sort, that there is a reason why, which we don't understand, why an extraterrestrial species returns time and time again. Um, he, he certainly, in the royal family, does seem to be the person that uh, an interest is shown in. Uh, I was told, uh, that, uh, again, this senior person within the royal family um, 
was aware of uh, a particular place I'm, I, I know myself, uh, I can't say, where he visits quite regularly. Um, the orbs, these orbs that we're, mm-hmm. we're seeing and hearing so much about these days, uh, have arrived for years around him. And whilst he would be inside the building, they would kind of be like rotating around a certain shrub. It was always the same shrub in the front yard of this this house, uh, large house that he that he visits, and you know it was like it was its place to be waiting, uh, and before he came out, he's had one particular uh, encounter with an extraterrestrial uh, himself. Um, it was described to me in some detail. Uh, I it was absolutely sworn that no detail with any name should ever be put out and I've never done so this is the most I've ever said about it on on any media um, and of course you know as much as I like you and your program it would not be uh, it would not be sensible or fair to the person who went to great pains to get this out into the public uh, sector uh, to, de- to declare any more than that dates times and other names wouldn't be very helpful to anybody and I think would actually endanger this person. I, uh, one of my meetings with, with her, um, I can say now because my mum and dad have both passed away, but um, one of these meetings was arranged in my parents' home and uh, she was taken there. Um, she got herself there through a, a route that you know we had not planned. I, she was the only one that knew it so that she wasn't followed there. And uh, whilst she was with me, uh, my father came into the room and tapped the door and, you know, they had left us, of course, alone throughout the meeting, but came in to say that there was a vehicle on the other side of the road with about 20 aerials on it, blacked out windows, was clearly putting a, a, a dish antenna focused right in our window. Hmm. So it is very likely that whilst she thought that she was had not been followed and... Um, she was and this happens with a lot of people and, and that's why i love talking to you colin because we never know what we're going to get and we we take it to to different areas but we have to take our one and only break and i want to ask you a question and i have to say i have to lean into this comfort before i ask you and, and i want your answer on the other side and then you can tell me more about your recent books and dvds but when we see all these orbs and i've seen multiple videos of these orbs circling some of the fields in, in England, and consequently we see the crop circles. I don't know if you've ever seen some of these orbs on videos that were shown on 9-11. I wonder if there's a correlation between what we saw on 9-11, some of these orbs flying around before there were planes. I'm not saying that there were no planes, because I don't have the proof, but I've seen videos before those planes were put into the video. I want to ask you that when we come back. But tell us your new DVD books and how can people get uh, more in touch with your work? Well, thank you very much. Um, the books, I've uh, a number since um, since you and I last met. Uh, the Government Circles is, is, is very popular because it has all the documentation and photographs from the governments and the police mm-hmm. and those people that uh, who claim not to be involved. Um, I, the Andrews catalogue here covers, uh, you know, m- most of the patterns that have appeared with the stories and the interactions. The assessment is the first and the only book which is focused upon uh, people making them, but it, it is not as uh, negative and as hard to read as it might sound. It's a very important document for anybody who really wants the truth. 
uh, because it leaves that part of it uh, that you know in the book also that needs the investigation a complete idiot's guide to 2012 i think is a very important uh, piece of work uh, the Complete Idiot's Guide to the Akashic Record, which you can substitute that term for consciousness. Love the titles, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> and the DVD, um, the only one in recent years, uh, which I am pleased with. It's a long haul. It's uh, three hours. Uh, it's a sit back with a good cup of coffee or two. And it's from the beginning to the end with this strange sound that broke over the television uh, system in Great Britain in 1977 and how that has very much played into the crop circle phenomenon in that same area. Uh, all of that is on that DVD. The interaction, the people involved, the places, the time, the evidence that we have been engaged by another mind and that is conscious circles. Uh, all of these are available, you know, obviously uh, in stores and so on, but on my website is the safest place to go. Which is ColinAndrews.net and we have a link on our website as well. When we come back, folks, we're going to talk about 2012. This is starting tomorrow, 2012. It's on a lot of people's minds and radars, and we want to just find out what Colin knows. And more on crop circles, more on consciousness. I want to talk to you about the Akashic Records all when we come back. This is Mel Fabregas. I'm here with Colin Andrews, the father of the term crop circles. You're listening to Veritas, and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you very much for listening. We'll continue this interview with our special guest in our members section. If you're not a member, just go to our website, veritasradio.com, and click on the subscribe link to listen to the rest. We'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the member section. Enjoy. Same thing, 
This is Timothy Good, and you're listening to The Veritas Show.